Jan January is the weird fourth and fifth Sunday, so the kids are in. Is this on? There we go. The kids are in here again this morning. But remember last week we talked about Jesus welcomed kids into in the middle of the disciples. If you welcome the child, you welcome me. So it's always good to have children in church. Do you agree with that? Do you love children in church? Because I do. Not just because I have children, but I love children. I, hear, I like to hear them, even when we're singing, I like to hear them joyful and talking and singing, and I love it. Before we dive into Scripture today, let's pray. Um, as I'm praying, please pray for the people online that are listening. Pray for the world at large. Pray for those um, countries that are persecuted for their faith, those Christians around the world. Just um, pray with me as we... Um, before we go into God's Word today. God, we come to You with humble hearts. We are broken people in need of Your grace each and every day. I pray that You would continue to guide us through this service. Those here in person, those online, um, thank You for allowing us to gather together this morning. We gather together in your name and we worship you because you're true, you're holy, you're good, and your mercies are new every morning. You're faithful. We put our hope in you because one day you're coming back for your people. So we praise you for that. As we dive in today to the gospel according to Mark, help us to be, have listening ears and open minds to um, hear from your word today and what Jesus has to teach us. And it's in his wonderful, precious name we pray. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Mark chapter 10. We're going to read it first and then we'll learn from Jesus today. So Mark chapter 10 verses 1 through 12. Jesus then left that place and went into the region of Judea and across the Jordan. Again, crowds of people came to him, and as was his custom, he taught them. Some Pharisees came and tested him by asking, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? What did Moses command you? He replied. They said Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. It was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law, Jesus replied. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. When they were in the house again, the disciples asked Jesus about this. He answered, anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. That's God's word this morning for us. I read an article this week. It's actually in the February 2023 magazine edition of the Philadelphia Trumpet. I'm looking into the future. No, 
Uh, but Philadelphia Trumpet, this is from the Philadelphia Church of God. They put this magazine out. And the article reads, the title of the article is, When Family Falls, Society Falls. And in the article, Ger- Gerald Flurry wrote this, In the words of Seneca, the famous statesman and philosopher who served the early Roman Empire, one of the foundational reasons Rome would fall, would fall, he's predicting this. Seneca said, The reason Rome would fall was the fact that they divorce in order to remarry, they marry in order to divorce. Seneca, before Rome even fell, that's what his prediction was, why Rome would fall. They divorce to remarry, they marry to divorce. When society, or when family falls, society falls. When you're reading a when you're reading your Bible and you come to a difficult passage, what do you do? What do you do? If the issue or topic in the, next, in the text is hard to grasp or to understand, what do you do? That's what I had this, morning, or this week. I got to the text on mon- Monday morning. I read it and I was like, that's too hard. That's too difficult. That's what we have in the text before us in Mark. Divorce is looked at differently within the church and within the world. They're looked at differently. The church does it its very best to understand it using what? The Bible. The church does their best. The Bible as its source. The world does not take the Bible into account on the issue of divorce, I would say. Divorce is common. Divorce happens probably every day. But divorce for me, especially when I read the text that I was going to preach today, which I'm doing right now, it's difficult. It's a difficult issue for me to speak on because I know people who are followers of Jesus and are divorced. I know people who are divorced and are ministers in the church. So how do I handle the text in light of that reality for myself as a preacher? So if you got into the mind of me this morning, that's what my week was like. I've talked to people all throughout this week about it. I'm like, it's hard. What do you think about it? (laughs) One man said this, I used to always be kind of judgmental of people in my church who divorced. Live out your commitment, I'd say. Or what what about for better or for worse? But when you end up on the other side, you get a whole different perspective. Mark chapter 10 we're going to look at it. I know the headings aren't like inspired, but when you look in my NIV Bible, probably maybe yours, it just says chapter 10, and right above it it says divorce. Anybody else? Just have the one word divorce? Who has that? When you go to a text and you say divorce, oh no. How do I speak on divorce? Well, you're going to find out my thoughts. You're going to find out the struggle of what it is to talk about divorce and marriage. But I think 
we'll learn something today. Hopefully when we leave these doors, you'll have a different perspective on divorce and marriage. I hope. Because I did. Studying it this week, talking to different people, I have a different perspective. And obviously I haven't been divorced, so I don't know that side. But I talked to people who have been divorced this week and I got a different perspective on it. So verse 1, you'll see there. What does it say? Jesus then left that place. Remember they just came from, Jesus is teaching His disciples, if you cause one of these little ones who believe in My name to stumble, don't do it. Then salt is good, peace is good. Then he, they left that place and went into the region of Judea and across the Jordan. And again, crowds of people flock to Jesus. In the book of Mark, you'll notice, and we've seen it, there's always crowds following Jesus. I don't know how they know where he's at, but they always seem to find Jesus. And one interesting thing here, what does Jesus do? It says, again, crowds of people came to him, as was his custom, his habit. He teaches them. Doesn't tell us what he teaches, but he's teaching the crowds. That is so, that's remarkable to me. Jesus is always in teaching mode. Myself, I'm not always in teaching mode. I'm like, I don't want to teach right now. I just want to sit down on my couch and drink this cup of coffee. I don't want to teach right now. Just leave me alone. Jesus is like, oh, there's crowds. I'm in teaching mode. You're here. You're going to listen to me. <laughs> That's what Jesus is. I'm putting Jesus' words in his mouth. So you're here. I'm going to teach you. And I think I wrote this down, and I think you'd agree with me. I believe we can state with confidence that Jesus is the best teacher of all time. Do you agree with that? Don't say, oh, I know a good teacher, the best one of all, and you say some random name and I'm like, that's your opinion. But I believe Jesus is the best teacher. And this passage is one of those moments that Jesus is the best teacher of all. Next verse, verse 2 through 9, you're going to get this interaction between Pharisees and Jesus. So some Pharisees, and if you're with us with the book of Mark series, what also is happening occasionally with Jesus? Who comes and tries to trip him up? The Pharisees, who are the religious teachers of the day. So they come to Jesus and tested him by asking a question, and if you remember from earlier in Mark, I gave you this testing. This is to test Jesus maliciously to harm him. That's the word. They want to harm Jesus in their questioning. This is not some normal conversation. This conversation is one that they are expecting or wanting Jesus to trip up and say something wrong. They're like, we're going to get him. You ever see people like that on TV or a show or a movie? They're like, oh, we're going to get those people. That's what those Pharisees are like. They're like, we got the good question. We got the best question we think that's going to trip Jesus up. And what do they ask? Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? If somebody came up to me with that question, I'd just be like, uh, 
Here's what I got. But Jesus responds in a way that's amazing. But they asked Jesus about divorce. And divorce, it's to dismiss the wife from the house. Like they're kicking the wife out of the house, basically. Is it lawful, Jesus? Tell us. Please give your interpretation of the law. We want to know. Because the Pharisees, what are they? They are law abiders. They know the law better than everybody else, right? Yes? So they think, we know it, but do you know it, Jesus? One teacher to the other teacher. Remember, Jesus is a rabbi, a teacher. So Jesus responds. So before you hear Jesus' response, which you just did, this is what David Garland commented in his commentary on Mark. He said, before we even look at the rest, we should not expect to find instructions for the pastoral care of divorced persons in this text. You don't go to this text to care for somebody that just got a divorce. That's not what this text is for, David Garland says, and I agree with that, and you'll see why as we go through it. This is not a text you go to, okay? Again, like so many other times, the response of Jesus to their question, he responds with a question of his own. I love that. I never do that. Just Jesus has a way of saying, I'll respond to your question with a question. And he says, what did Moses command you? Remember, they know Moses back, front, back, all the, all the, in the middle and all between what did Moses command you? They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. It was permitted for them to write this divorce certificate. And they answer according to the law that Moses wrote. And you'll find that. Go with me to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 24. This is where they're getting it from. So they answered Jesus, I think correctly, from Deuteronomy 24. This is what Moses got from the Lord to write down. Okay, Deuteronomy 24, starting in verse 1. It says, If a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her, he writes and writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her, and sends her from his house. And if after she leaves his house, she becomes the wife of another man, and her second husband dislikes her and writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her, and sends her from his house, or if he dies, then her first husband who divorced her is not allowed to marry her again after she has been defiled. That would be detestable in the eyes of the Lord. Do not bring sin upon the land of the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. So, Moses does write down, you can write a certificate of divorce. Yes? Does it read like that? Yeah. These two commentators helped me out. Earl Callan wrote this about this text. Divorce in the books of Moses appears as a fact of social life. Divorce was initiated only by men, not by women. So, in the book of Deuteronomy, the books of Moses, divorce was normal. Can everybody say that? It's normal. According to what Moses wrote down. It's happening over and over again. 
Walter Wessel writes this, and this, I didn't know this till this week. You might have known it, but I didn't know it till I read commentators, and it was in every commentary. Two groups of Jewish teachers differ on what the grounds for divorce were. The something indecent, if you read that in Deuteronomy. They could divorce for indecent something. Whatever's indecent. There's two groups of Jewish teachers. The school of Shammai, the stricter of the schools, understood these words to mean something morally indecent, in particular adultery. The school of Hillel interpreted the words much more freely. Just about anything in a wife that a husband did not find to his liking was suitable grounds for divorce. You burnt the food, I'll divorce you. That's what it was. So you have two Jewish teachers that didn't agree. You can divorce only for adultery in particularly, or you burnt my toast, I'm going to divorce you. The prophet Malachi, you don't have to turn there, but the prophet Malachi speaking for God to the people of Israel at the end of the section talking about divorce. This is how it starts in the Hebrew language, not in the NIV. And I was sad because I like the original language. In the NIV, I was like, it doesn't say that. But in the original Hebrew, it says, I hate divorce, says the Lord. The prophet continues after that, Take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. And the NIV reads like this at the end. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful. In the book of Malachi, the prophet says, the Lord says, I hate divorce. Can we all just agree with that? God hates divorce. Can we agree with that? Can everybody say, agree with that? God hates divorce. And Robert Alden on Malachi, in his comment, I'm sorry I'm bringing commentators in, but they help us. I'm not a commentator. I'll never be a commentator writer. But he says this about the Malachi passage. Many today would accuse Malachi of having a rigid view of marriage and divorce. But the covenant made between a man and a woman in the presence of a priest, the vicar of God, must be taken with utmost seriousness. Do you agree with that? Marriage, commitment, marriage covenant or the commitment between a man and a woman is very serious. Yes. That's why God says he hates divorce. But the Pharisees here, they want to know where Jesus the teacher, Jesus the teacher, stood on the issue of divorce. They wanted to know, are you on Shammai's side or are you on Hillel's side? Today, this is going to be very divisive, but if people hear me online, it has to be said. Are you with the Democrats or the Republicans? Are you with the Church of Christ or the Baptist Church? What do they believe on it? That's what, it's, that's what they're saying. Do you believe this way, Jesus, or do you believe this way? If you're not on our side, oh, we tripped you up. We got you trapped. We're going to arrest you. We're going to hurt you. We're going to harm you. That's what it's saying. Jesus, which side are you on, okay? So Jesus answers them. It was because your hard hearts 
that Moses wrote that to you. Moses permitted a man to write a divorce certificate because you were hard-hearted. You were sinners. It was permitted because of sin. That's it. Are we in a sin-cursed world? Hear this. Moses didn't command divorce. He allowed it or permitted it because of a sin-cursed world. It wasn't commanded. It was permitted. And this is what Paul McReynolds wrote in his commentator commentary. Divorce apparently is tolerated, but Jesus explains to the Pharisees that Moses wrote this command only because of the hardness of their heart. Divorce is allowed because of the sin in the world. It is there because of mankind's hard hearts, but faithfulness in marriage is approved by God. God condemns a husband unfaithfulness and states clearly, I hate divorce from Malachi. Jesus points out to the Pharisees that although divorce is allowed by Moses, it is not God's intention. Jesus tells the Pharisees the correct teaching of God. He refers to Genesis for the correct teaching concerning marriage. And you see that in our text. What does Jesus say? He says, It was because your hard hearts were hard your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law. But Remember that small little word. It transitions from one thing to the next. And Jesus says, yes, Moses allowed it because you you were sinners. Sin is in the world. But he takes it all the way back to the beginning. All the way back to the beginning of creation. God made male and female. That's beautiful to me. Because Jesus doesn't take a side. He says, yes, Moses permitted it. Yes, he did. But at the very beginning of creation, the one who created you, male and female, that's the, that's the ideal place to be. Okay? The ideal place. And then you keep going. This reason a man leaves his father and mother and united to his wife, they become one flesh. That's hard to imagine too. The two become one. They are no longer two but one flesh. There's a commitment there, right? But divorce happens. What happens to the two that become one? After a divorce, they become two but they're still connected somehow, right? Even after a divorce, you're still connected to the person you divorced. Why? Because you made a commitment. You're still somehow connected, and if you have children, you're even more connected, right? Am I right? So if you're divorced and you have children, somehow you have to be connected because you have children together. You have to be maybe in their lives together. You may even have to see the person you divorced. Maybe not every day, but you have to see each other. 
You have to communicate with each other, especially if you have kids. So Jesus takes it back to the beginning. That's the ideal marriage covenant. That's ideal. But divorce happens, and we have to say, and we all agree, divorce happens, and we hate divorce. We don't like it, but it happens. And then verses 10 through 12, you know, the disciples ask Jesus when they're in the house. So they're away from the crowds, they're away from the Pharisees. Jesus, please tell us what you just said. <laughs> What's this all about? And he, we're not going to get in, it's even more difficult for me. Anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. That's hard for me. <laughs> How do you teach on that? But Jesus told his disciples that. And one thing that's kind of interesting there, remember, if you remember Deuteronomy, who's, who could write a certificate of divorce? Only the man. So Jesus is saying there's two equal partners, the man and the woman. They're on equal plane. That's right there. That could just be a teaching too. The man's not a dominating factor in the marriage. You're, you can, you're equal. You're one. It's a hard pill to swallow, right? Is it? Because divorce happens. We know it. In the church and outside the church, it happens. And like I said earlier, I know people who are divorced. I know people who are divorced and remarried. How do we handle these situations? What do we say about them is a key thing. And here's where I want to end our time this morning. The past does not define who you are. God's a forgiving God. He sent Jesus into the world to save people from their sins. The grace of God is amazing, correct? And if you, if you go to the book of John, the gospel according to John, Jesus interacts with two people that is so, with this context in mind, Jesus in chapter 4, in the book of John, chapter 4, he's at the Samaritan well, and a woman comes up and they start talking. And Jesus says, go find your husband and come back. And she's had five husbands. And Jesus said, the one you're living with is not even your husband. He acknowledges that she has had all these marriages, but they talk about what? Jesus doesn't say, I'm condemning you for all those, all those divorces and marriages. No, he says, the Samaritans are going to worship God too. And she goes back to the village and says, oh, I met a man who's done amazing things and I believe this man. And all of them come out of the Samaritan village and see Jesus. But he doesn't look at her and say, you're condemned because of that. I love that. And then in chapter 7, they bring a woman caught in adultery. They're about to stone her because adultery in that day is death. They, Jesus is around, and he said, whoever 
has not sinned can cast the first stone. And he gets down and writes something on the, um, the, the ground, gets back up. And then he writes, a, I think a second time, if I remember. And then he gets up and nobody's around. He looks at the woman and says, where's everybody that accuses you of this? I thought they were going to throw some stones at you. That's not in the text, but we can imply that. Where are they? And there's nobody. But he doesn't look at her and say, I condemn you for this. There's no way that you can get over this. He looks at her and says, go and leave your life of sin. I don't condemn you. That's beautiful. I don't condemn you. Just go leave your life of sin. And she goes home. Jesus, we agreed earlier, is the best teacher of all time. And if we're talking about the church or people as a whole, James teaches us you're adulterous people. But if you read James chapter 4, verses 4 through 10, he's talking about your adulterous people. You're following after all these things. You're um, committing adultery against God. But he ends with, but God gives you more grace. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. For God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of His Son that He loves, in whom we have redemption. We talked about that. Redemption, the forgiveness of sins. In Jesus, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that He lavished on us. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace. Those were all biblical texts run together. If you want them, you can come see me. But what is that, what's the theme of those verses? The grace of God that covers a multitude of sin. David Garland, I'll end with this commentator. He says, One cannot dismiss the failure of the past, but it need not rule over us or prevent us from beginning anew in the grace of God. Today there's space to pray. There's space to join our family at Ferris. There's space to make the great confession that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. Come as you are as we sing our invitation hymn. Pray with me today. God, thank you so much for the grace that you lavishly poured on us in the midst of difficult passages, difficult issues, topics to talk about. Your grace is still there. Your grace is there to lift us up. Your grace is there to 
give us new life. As we look ahead to um, the week or the month, the year, I pray that we'd have the grace of God in front of us and thinking of it every day and living in your grace because we need it every day. We're broken, sinful people. And we have a Savior that saves people from sin, forgives people from sin, redeems people from sin. So help us to listen to Jesus, the best teacher of all. And it's in His wonderful name we pray. Amen. stand and sing with us.